yeah, just think about this um, kind of night and day shift in my journey in almost overnight, although nothing happens overnight and go, wow, yes, that was powerful. We're gonna go out on the field. We're gonna score as many goals as we can. We're gonna have fun. Oh, Becky, you're well placed. Devin Harris admits it. He had a wandering eye. Now that I think about it, it was like, you know, the Summer Olympus became a jilted lover. Oh, see ya. I met a new girl. Her name is Winter. <laughs> um, <laughs> the fact that he fell for this other girl was truly wild. See, Harris is Jamaican. For most elite young Jamaican athletes, the Summer Olympics is what they get swept up in. It's the sports tradition. It's the climate. And for Harris, as a boy growing up in Kingston, it did start off like that. The love story started pretty normally. He loved sprinting. He loved football or soccer. But most of all, he loved what sport in general asked of him. But there was something interesting that I discovered just uh, playing sport that regardless of what was happening, you know, off the soccer pitch, how people saw you, how you showed up, what was most important is how, was how you showed up in that game, right? It was, you know, your mother, your brother can't help you. It's me and you, boy. Um, you know, so it's a heart that you brought to that. Obviously, you needed some skill, but you know, in those moments in the game when you're exhausted and your skill is suspect, who has a heart, who is, who has a greater desire? Mm-hmm. And that really um, drew me into sport. I guess I've always been competitive. So, you know, in school, I was competitive in the classroom and, and yeah, on the sports field. And just because winning is fun. Who, who doesn't like to win? But in Jamaica, like in every other country, Most kids who play sports don't grow up to be in the Olympics. The love for competing stayed with Harris, but his life path pivoted away from Summer Olympic dreams. He excelled in school. He started to look towards a career in the Army. He gained admittance to the prestigious Royal Military Academy Sandhurst in the UK. And then one day in September 1987, the young army officer picks up this weekly army publication called Force Orders and reads this inclusion calling for those who wish to, quote, undergo rigorous and dangerous training to represent Jamaica in the Winter Olympics. Harris thinks this is ridiculous. And then my colonel told me I was going to the team trials, that I should go, that I will be going to the team trials. And so in that moment, like everything switched. Initially, I was not interested in bobsledding, Um, thought it was ridiculous. But then once I knew I was going, I guess that competitive fire just like, just got lit Mm -hmm. because I was not going to go 
and just just and just go through the paces because the colonel told me to go. The question now becomes, how am I going to make this team? I don't know how I'm going to do it. You know, I thought I was army fit. I could walk 100 miles with 50 pounds on my back and a rifle in my hand. I didn't think I was sports fit. I, you know, in 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 my head, you had to be of a certain level of fitness to even think about qualifying for the Olympics. But yeah, you know, I went, man, and I just tried my darnest. And I like to say that they, you know, they like my smile, so they selected me. <laughs> They selected him because of his smile and maybe because of the fact that he had the fastest push time at team selections. Harris jumped into this new journey. Once he was tapped, given one of those precious, now legendary spots, the hard work began. The thing I relied on the most, especially in the beginning, was my army training, my army exposure. I mean, our... Early days of bobsledding um, involved long periods of intense physical work with very little rest. And, and I remember as I was doing that, and in the cold, right? As I was doing that, my mind went back to when I was doing my officer training at Sandhurst. It, the, you had those, right? it's cold, um, long, intense uh, period of, uh, of, of work physical activity with very little rest. I'm like, oh yeah, I've seen this movie before. So I kind of leaned into and leaned back on that experience to take me through. The adjustment to the rigorous training conditions wasn't the hardest part for Harris. Neither was it really anything technical or tangible. Um, the hardest thing about bobsledding for me was just simply believing that I could. Um, because then that... Because I joke around a lot, um, uh, you know, people think uh, when I say that I'm scared of speed and height, they think I'm joking, but I'm not. I'm like scared to death. <laughs> um, you know, so I, I remember my first run. I just um, I just said, look, if I die, I die. But I'm going, you know, and so that's I think that's what it takes because Bob Selling is one of the they describe it as a secondary sport and it's. It, it's filled. Nobody grows up bobsledding. Um, so it's after you've done with, with what your soccer, your basketball, your track, your football sport. And you go, oh, OK, let me go try this. And you, everybody talks about how challenging it is, how intense it is, the, the fear factor. I mean, there's no guarantee you're going to be alive uh, 60 seconds after you push from the start, you know. Um, and then just the ride itself, uh, it's physically punishing, exhilarating, but yeah, challenging. So it's, it, you, it requires that, that kind of commitment. His commitment, self-belief, and skill ultimately led Harris to the Calgary Olympics in 1988. He was a member of Jamaica's first ever bobsled team set to compete in the country's first ever Winter Olympics. You've dreamt about competing in the Olympic Games. I know here you are. And so in that moment, you're living your dream. Like in that moment, it's like, wow, I'm here. And yes, I'm representing my country. I think most athletes want to do that. And then there was that extra special thing about it because we were the first ones who were actually going to do this at the, at the Winter Olympics. So yeah, completely amazing. 
Harris and his teammates made quite the impression in that games. They inspired, they crashed, they persevered. And the media was paying attention. Wow, it was such a meteoric rise, Hannah, coming from, I mean, within three years of leaving high school and it's not even fair to say I was out of the hood, but in, in a way, making my way out. Here it is that I'm uh, a, a, an Olympian, not just an Olympian, a, a winter Olympian from Jamaica and being exposed to um, uh, the world at large in a way that I never even could have imagined. Um, so that was eye-opening. But I think that the biggest thing that, that impacted me was the fact that I was the work and the growth that you must um, experience to, to go from not knowing a sport like bobsledding to competing in the Olympic Games in five months. I think that's where the biggest impact on my life has been. It's not, I mean, it's a limelight and the attention. Um, cool, absolutely. You know, but that's not how I, uh, you know, go about life. Uh, you know, that's... I, I think it's fair to say I don't allow that thing to get to my head. Um, what's more important is how I'm growing as a person and how I'm uh, impacting and um, influencing other, the lives of others in a positive way. And so I'm able to, yeah, just think about this um, kind of night and day shift in my journey in almost overnight, although nothing happens overnight and go, wow, yes, that was powerful. So powerful, in fact, that a movie was made about their story, Cool Runnings. One of the American guys who came up with the idea uh, to start the team, George Fitch, sometime after the, the, the Olympics, not long after, he broached the idea to us that he wants to sell, shop the idea around Hollywood to see if any, there'll be any interest. And so it's just kind of cool. I mean, nobody grew up, well, I didn't grow up dreaming of a day when a movie would be made about my life. So that was just kind of, all right, cool. That, that sounds like fun. Um, and then it kind of be, be, became news. But then it took five years for them to film. You know, it's like every six months, oh, they're filming, oh, they're not filming, oh, they're filming, oh, they're not filming. And I remember I had friends who asked me, so, hey, what's happening with the movie? I'm like, I, I don't know. I don't care. They're filming, they're filming, whatever. I was just getting kind of frustrated with the process. Um, so I just kind of took my mind off that and went about my life. And then I want to say early 93, I got a call and they go, hey, they're filming in Calgary. Would you like to go? I'm like, absolutely, you know? Mm -hmm. So that was that was it was very flattering to be on a Hollywood movie set watching them make uh, a movie about part of your life. That was you know pretty cool. Mm -hmm. um, and then I remember when we watched the movie for the first time, actually with bated breath, this nervous anticipation um, because the last thing we wanted was for them to portray us as a bunch of pot smoking Jamaicans. And so we're kind of waiting for that. And then when we didn't see that, we go, oh, you know, it's kind of sigh, a uh, uh, breath of relief there. And, um, and then you, just, you start to think about it. And, and I remember myself and Chris Stokes, my teammate, saying, well, you know, I'm inspired to do something. Don't know what, but, you know, I'm inspired to do something. And, uh, it was an inspiring story, for sure. The movie was inspiring. It was funny. And it wasn't super accurate. 
I think about it and I realize that in many ways, the, the true story is definitely far more spectacular, far more remarkable, but um, a little bit unbelievable, especially if you're trying to entertain people, right? Nobody would believe. And this, this dawned on me just over the last week that perhaps in the history of the Olympic Games, the first and only time a, an athlete or a team has ever competed in an event was at the Olympic Games was with us. Mm. You know, the first time we ever competed in a formal event was at the Olympic Games. Now, who does that? No world championships, no competitions beforehand, just straight into the Olympic Games. And then go push the seventh fastest start time. I, I think if you put that in a movie, people will go, come on. After Calgary, Harris had completely succumbed to what he calls the bobsled bug. He wanted more. So he returned home and regimented his life in a new way. So my first two Olympics, I, I, I competed in them while I was still serving in the army. So I literally take my bobsled uniform off, off, put my army uniform back on and went to work, you know? So um, <laughs> I almost said a bobsled by day and a soldier by night. Um, but yeah, that's kind of what it was. You know, once I was in Jamaica, the, the main focus was army. So I was, I was, and I love that. I mean, that's just who I am, a, a soldier mm-hmm. through and through. I describe myself, but I'm also a bobsledder now too, so. Those were um, it's, it's two very important parts of my life, and I get to do them at different times in the year. The, the challenge for both bobsledding in particular is, yeah, you really need to be spending your days, uh, you know, doing all things bobsledding if you hope to, you know, have a shot at the medal podium. And that that wasn't what... Um, my days were spent doing it was spent doing army stuff and trying to fit bobsledding or bobsled training you know in in between duties harris would go on to compete in two more olympics those times as a member of the two-man bobsled as he neared the nagano games in 1998 he had really started to think not just about retiring but Beyond that, he was already dreaming about and planning for life after bobsled. So I think, so before heading into Nagano, I had this plan to become a motivational speaker. I had no idea what that looked like, um, but that was the plan. So so that helped me. Although I have to say, I, I did harbor ambitions of competing in 2002, but I then decided that I was going to, um, focus on motivational speaking. And I remember saying, yeah, I'll do that. But after the Olympics, having those plans um, gave, you, gave my life some kind of direction. After putting away his bobsled suit for good, Harris focused on his motivational speaking career. He's traveled around the world, giving inspirational keynotes and seminars on topics such as persistence, leadership, pursuing dreams. And in that same spirit of service, Harris started a nonprofit called the Keep On Pushing Foundation. 
and gone back uh, to Jamaica, visited the old neighborhood, went by my old elementary school, and I was having a chat uh, with the principal. And I asked him, so what's the biggest issue here, biggest challenge? And it was the fact that kids were coming to school hungry. And I think we all know if kids are hungry, they can't learn. If they can't learn, they don't become educated, and hence they can't be uh, contributing uh, members of society. And especially from uh, a neighborhood like mine, where, quite frankly, if you've missed the bus, you've missed the bus, you know. Um, and I saw myself in them. And so I wanted to do what I could to, to help that, help that situation. Giving back also meant staying connected to Jamaican bobsledding. Upon retiring, Harris took on what we could loosely call a front office slash administrative role with Jamaican bobsledding. In fact, between 2014, right after the Sochi Games, and just before the 2018 Winter Olympics, he single-handedly ran the program, recruiting athletes, planning training, fundraising, travel itineraries, you name it. Doing all of that, caring so much day in and day out, resulted in this strong but sneaky emotional tie. He still had the bobsled bug in many ways. Uh, maybe two years ago, um, I had an interesting revelation. I was speaking to another Olympian, who, a Canadian, who Melinda Harrison, her name is. That conversation, I'm like, oh my God, Melissa, all this time I thought I'd moved on, but I hadn't really. Um, I, I stayed connected, not because I, so I was still connected, not because I was trying to be on the team and go win a medal, but because I was working with a program to help the, the newer generation. So from that perspective, I had not really moved on. You know, I'm, I've moved on now, I promise, I'm good. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, that, that, you know, just having that conversation with her was, was, was quite telling. As for the cultural impact Harris and his teammates have had in Jamaica, well, the Summer Olympics continues to be the main chick. I think that there are more of them who want to go uh, become the next great 100-meter star than they yeah. want to be the next bobsled star. And I, and I get it. You know, bobsledding is just that thing that they relate to most because they'll see it on a a 30-second news clip uh, as opposed... It's not something, obviously, that they can relate to experientially. They can't go to a bobsled race um, kind of thing. But having said that, I think they're not necessarily overwhelming numbers, but there are more and more kids now who are young men, young women, who are interested in being on the team and, and exploring this possibility. In fact, a handful of those young Jamaican men and women are on display in this Winter Olympics, happening right now, five of them to be exact. Jamaica qualified three sleds in the monobob, two-man, and four-man event. The four-man makes its return to the Olympic stage for the first time since Nagano, 1998. It's a proud moment, you know, it's, a, it's really a proud moment to, to see, uh, you know, a group of young men from Jamaica continuing that tradition, but more importantly, living their own dreams and 
writing their own story and hopefully inspiring the next uh, generation. You know, um, the, the teams that I've been involved with over the last number of years, you know, I've been challenging them. I'm like, you need to make people want to forget about the 1988 team. They haven't yet. And it's, and it's because nobody has done anything remarkable. And that's what your guys' job is to, to, to go tear it up in such a way that people go, what, the 88? Well, please, you know, you are the guys we want to be in love with now. So um, I don't know if that's going to happen, these Olympic Games, but hopefully it's, it's a first step towards that. Perhaps the first step towards another remarkable feat to freeze into history. This group that will take the track in Beijing at the end of this week has the know-how. They have actual competitions under their belt. But what hasn't changed in the last three plus decades is the necessity of that one special ingredient. That most powerful understanding passed down from their sporting ancestors that they'll need to summon for any sort of success. Self-belief. That's perhaps the one of the biggest lessons I learned from bobsledding. Not that I can learn how to bobsled in a short period of time, but literally that you can accomplish anything that you truly put your mind to, you know, within reason, of course. I don't think I would become the next uh, great uh, space explorer. <laughs> I don't think I could put my mind to that. It's perhaps the reason why. Thank you to Devin Harris for coming on to the podcast. And thank you for listening. Hope to see you next time. Mm-hmm.